automatically. Uh, Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got Scott Jordan on with us at the Talking Hedge Podcast. He's the founder of the Alternative Finance Network. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Josh. Could you just tell us what you do, how you got into this space? Sure. Uh, I created a company called the Alternative Finance Network uh, after getting started in uh, doing my first uh, marijuana loan in 2009 uh, for a dispensary here in Denver. I live in a suburb of Denver. And uh, I created uh, a network of funding sources because back then in the back in the day, there was really very little to no debt based financing. Um, the way that it, I, I created it was uh, through just one by one by one helping uh, individual dispensary owners acquire the capital that they needed. Um, what what had happened was the short version of a long story is uh, I helped, uh, I was working for a leasing company in 2013. I had someone come to me that needed uh, capital to build out their dispensary and uh, their grow because we were vertically integrated uh, mandatorily back then. And as a result, he referred me to his neighbor who referred me to another neighbor. And I was able to put together an initial uh, base of customers I, uh, because I was working for a leasing company uh, and we started doing uh, so many deals, we decided to create the uh, an, another company within that company called the Alternative Finance, excuse me, called Dynamic Alternative Finance. And I was one of the few guys back then in 2014 uh, going to the trade shows and talking about the value of debt-based financing. So um, I was uh, fortunate in being early. I, uh, I had my, my uh, pick of the litter here and managed to uh, provide financing for a number of the uh, larger dispensary chains here in Denver and have helped um, a number of uh, dispensary and grow uh, uh, operations throughout the, the, the country. Uh, fast forward, uh, Dynamic got sold uh, in 2017. I went to work for a company and um, decided after about a year and a half of not being able to uh, implement what I wanted to implement there to create my own company. And so uh, in August of last year, I created the Alternative Finance Network uh, and have continued to expand the number of debt-based financing options that I can provide. I now have over 112 lenders, and we provide access to capital for uh, real estate, working capital, uh, equipment, uh, purchase order finance, uh, accounts receivable, and uh, acquisition financing. And so it's been a very interesting and fun ride here since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's take a step back then and, and talk about that because the industry has changed quite a bit when in 2015, you could have an idea and then pitch that concept and say, oh, I need some money for the license and to implement this idea. Whereas now, um, people aren't going to go for a letter of credit or memorandum of understanding. They're only going to go after uh, your revenues. So they'll give you you know, a discount on cash flows, but they're not going to give you money based on just a concept. So- how has the lending landscape changed since 2015 from credit card advances and 
Um, you know, home equity lines of credit to fund businesses to now where you're seeing sale leaseback options. Where is the flow now versus at the very beginning? If you can kind of take us through a quick little uh, journey as to the the different types of financing people have been able to get and what they're only able to get now. Sure. Good question. Uh, certainly larger players have gotten into the market now that it's become more normalized and there are many more choices for doing larger deals there because in the early days, people were afraid uh, uh, the feds were going to come in and that they were going to have uh, you know an issue. But I think as we've seen, really, there's been uh, no federal intervention on that larger companies are becoming much more comfortable. Most everybody in the marketplace is chasing yield these days, uh, you know, as interest rates have compressed. And because of uh, COVID, I think it actually has helped the business uh, because with with COVID, we've, be, we've uh, been determined to be a, an essential service and all but Massachusetts and Nevada, uh, those are the only states that shut down uh, their adult, excuse me, their uh, recreational um, stores, that it's become a lot uh, more accepted. In fact, what I'm seeing now is overseas money is wanting to come into the U.S. here because they're seeing us as a safe haven. And uh, they're not as interested in investing in commercial real estate, particularly office buildings and uh, retail, because COVID has decimated those those uh, industries and decimated the cap rates, they're seeing marijuana now as being much safer. So uh, I think it's it's so funny uh, because you know we've gone from illegal to essential in a few short years, and uh, and so we're seeing you know many many more uh, larger players. We're also seeing uh, some of the banks and credit unions. Uh, quietly want to stick their toe in the water and see um, how they can benefit from the, from this um, uh, expansion and and the need for capital. And uh, the nice part about what I do is I've got access to that sort of financing as well because they see me as being a nice uh, uh, place to clean and screen deals so that only the best deals come to them and they only they don't have to hang a shingle out and say hey we're lending and then get flooded by uh people that are not qualified in order to borrow what we're also seeing is is that many of the older uh businesses particularly here in denver which is a mature market we're seeing businesses with uh 10 or 11 years of results so with that kind of track record you you make a large lender, and particularly a conservative lender like a bank, feel much more comfortable in extending credit to you. So uh, capital has become more plentiful and less expensive, and uh, it's a very exciting development um, you know, for everyone in the industry because that's what we all need to expand this thing into really its full potential. Agreed. And it's going to take that banking to make it sort of essential. And I know that um, there's a lot of banks and credit unions in Denver that are kind of leading the way. Um, Sunday, is a, I think she's an executive at one of them, and definitely a, an industry leader. Um, so we saw a lot of um, loans back in the day that 
have been written off. Aurora has written off $3 billion. A lot of other companies have written off billions at a time. <clears throat> so the old school methodology of going out and getting a convertible note versus um, other forms of debt financing have kind of shown us that it's normalizing. The industry is starting to attract more sophisticated investors. And I'm wanting to know um, a little bit about that transition. Are we still seeing multi-state operators coming in and buying up or are we seeing out-of-state investors? Where's the money flow and how is it being um, put? Is, is it equity? Is it debt? Are we still looking at convertible notes and and who's the one issuing them? So um, because I am not licensed, I don't play in the, uh, in the equity markets like that. What I'm seeing just from an observation point is uh, there's much more money coming into uh, the multi-state operators, particularly the ones that are going into the hot states right now and the limited license states, uh, Michigan, Massachusetts, uh, Missouri. I guess we'll, we can start calling them the three M's. <laughs> and uh, they're seeing a lot, a lot more investment and a lot of uh, interest there. Uh, simply because there's so much pent up demand, and we're seeing very high prices for, um, you know, for marijuana, and uh, and the wholesale market is is really thriving there. Um, we're seeing more people that are also uh, utilizing existing businesses to support a just a pure debt payment, and most people would rather maintain all of their equity rather than look at uh, giving up equity um, in the early stages or having to write a convertible note. Um, and so, uh, you know, for instance, I helped a, a company uh, called the Green Solutions that got uh, bought by Columbia Care. And uh, I remember having a lot of early conversations with them uh, as we as I helped them grow their uh, their customer base and grow their dispensary base here. And uh, I explained to them, look, once you give up equity, you can't get, get it back. So I know it, it seems painful to borrow debt uh, that's in the you know mid to high teens, but trust me, you'll be glad once you went ahead and, uh, and get a, a big buyout. And uh, sure enough, uh, last month uh, that, transaction closed with Columbia Care, and they were really, really glad that things turned out uh, the way that they had, and they um, were able to retain their equity. And I think that's the biggest thing for operations that are expanding is maintain the equity at whatever cost uh, of capital it is, because there will be somebody coming uh, behind you that will be able to offer you much more than you probably think um, that you're going to get now, and you'll be very glad that you did. We've been saying on the Talking Hedge podcast for a while that stupid money is going to be coming in with uh, incredible valuations because they don't know where else to put the money. So a lot of these cannabis companies are going to see valuations that are in excess of 10x or whatever their revenues are, simply because the companies that want them, uh, whether it's Coca-Cola or otherwise, they're going to pay stupid valuations just to get in the game. And we can kind of see that from Aurora writing off $3 billion dollars. But, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> oh man, I just had a brain fart. I'm glad this isn't live. Hold on. <laughs> oh, um, we had a lot of waste in the in, in the in the market 
and yet uh, companies need that cash and it's incredibly difficult right now to generate revenue so we're seeing some people give up plant property and equipment in the form of a sale lease back option um, are there can you can you explain what that is and maybe some other forms of debt financing instead of uh, equity sure um you know, what we see the most often is uh, people taking out uh, just straight term loans or equipment leases. Uh, it's a lot easier for a lender to get comfortable when he has some sort of collateral as well as some uh, history, you know, with operating. Uh, sale leasebacks are used by companies that have acquired uh, assets, uh, whether it be equipment and or real estate, but most prevalent, it's most prevalent to be real estate. And what it is, is it's like uh, refinancing a house. Uh, you know, you own the asset, you go to a lender, you say, look, here's the asset. Uh, I'd like to go ahead and sign a long-term lease with you. That lease is usually for uh, 15 years with five-year um, options. And then what the lender does is they impose a cap rate. So um, cap rates are anywhere from 12 or so to 15%. Just to give you a simple example, on a million-dollar sale, 12% cap rate is going to yield a, um, a uh, investor $120,000 a month divided by 12 is $10,000 a month in rent is kind of the simple way to look at it. And they will then own the building. Uh, you'll be able to uh, write off the entire rent payment as opposed to uh, if you own the building free and clear, you don't have that interest write off or excuse me, um, you would only be able to um, uh, well, had, had the same brain fart that you had there. All right. Uh, well, you know, yeah. So um, with a, uh, w with a, owning a building free and clear and then starting to, you know, rent it back, you'd be able to write off the entire payment as opposed to nothing if you own it free and clear or if you have a loan on it, just the interest payment. So a lot of times it turns out to be much better way for uh, you both economically as well as for uh, your accountant at the end of the year to be able to help you minimize the uh, the taxes, which we all know are quite unfair to uh, marijuana business owners here in the U.S. at the time. So you've been getting calls for, for quite a long time uh, yes. for, for cannabis loans being in, in Denver. And so how have those calls changed? People were calling up asking for, what, five grand in the beginning, and now they want five million. And so how has the dollar amount changed and the, um, I guess, the description or what they want to use? Um, so how's the dollar amount change? And then how, how is the, the, and, um, Jesus, I can't even talk. <laughs> how's the dollar amount change as well as what they want to use with the funds? Over? Sure. Well, what, what I'm finding is much more sophisticated, uh, uh, borrowers, uh, in the industry now, um, early stages was uh, a lot of, um, black market people moving into the legal market. Now what I'm finding is much more sophisticated people that have owned other businesses have 
done the analysis, have seen other successful marijuana businesses operate, have the metrics and the numbers to know what they've been doing because so many companies are public where the information is uh, readily available. And what I'm seeing is a lot of equipment needs for people looking to build out uh, a MIP, a GROW, uh, some for um, uh, retail, but we're also seeing, uh, and hopefully closing here uh, fairly soon, on some of the multi-state operators that um, want to uh, fund their uh, build-out and uh, get into larger cultivation facilities or take existing facilities and retrofit them or build them out. A lot of times in the early days, you'd uh, lease a 50,000-square-foot uh, facility but only be able to afford to build out 15,000, 20,000 feet of it. And so you're paying rent on all of this space that's not being able to be used. And we're finding many people are going back and now looking to build out that additional space uh, because the demand seems to be just, you know, rising like a hockey stick uh, is rising. Um, and Particularly with COVID, I think uh, demand has increased. Uh, people are consuming more. Um, some are doing it, you know, for anxiety and to, uh, you know, deal with the uncertainty of the situation. Um, in fact, uh, you know, the headlines uh, this morning saw that uh, now um, pr President uh, and uh, First Lady have now contracted uh, our COVID and are in quarantine. So. You can imagine someone that's as well protected as the president and uh, has can get tested whenever he wants uh, if he has contracted it. And, uh, you know, what is the average citizen going to, uh, uh, you know, to be faced with here? So there's a lot of uncertainty in the air um, and people are consuming, you know, much more. And there's also much more. It's much easier to acquire um product because there's been such a nice expansion of not only dispensaries, but also delivery services in many areas. Mm -hmm. You guys have vertical integration in Colorado where a producer can also process and can also sell. Uh, are you seeing um, more money from companies that want to have total control and, and have a multi-state operator and a, um, vertical integration or are you seeing more specific things like they want to be a, a processor or a producer in a, in a bunch of different states um, what are a lot of the calls if you had to funnel them into producer processor retailer or fully integrated where where does the majority of loans lie i am finding many more people want to um specialize in one of the three areas of the business whether it be cultivation retail or uh processing and I think what's happening is, is, is that there's becoming a, a, more, a higher degree of specialization needed and many more brands out there. Uh, you know, when I first came into the business, there really were the only brand out there was, uh, was Dixie. And uh, for a long time, um, you know, Keefe, uh, you know, kind of came up in that era as well, but there was very, very, uh, you know, few other brands. Now, there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of brands seeking uh, shelf space uh, in the dispensaries. And so I'm seeing a, a, a lot of that, but I'm also seeing 
some of the larger guys that want to control the supply chain all the way through. And as a result, um, they're building the cultivation. They're, they're then, you know, wanting to build out the MIP and then also have control over uh, the retail stores as well, because you're still going to need, uh, you know, shelf space. And because the margins are so much better, you know, in retail, generally you're getting about double uh, to triple the price that you are in terms of selling wholesale. And so um, each state is a little bit different in terms of, you know, what they're going to allow. And I think it makes for a very exciting marketplace having, you know, the diversity and the intensity of the entrepreneurs that are um, coming into the marketplace because it's now what I see mostly is money guys that are now hiring or bringing on for uh, a small piece of equity, the early stage black market um, growers and uh, retailers. And what they're doing is, is, is they're, um, they're hiring the expertise because what they're doing is they're seeing the margins in this business are very, very good. And uh, again, because of the pandemic, this has been, uh, deemed an essential service, more and more people are getting comfortable with it. We're also seeing more and more of the medical uh, benefits that people are uh, experiencing and uh, more and more research that's uh, being done in terms of that. And uh, I think that really bodes well for uh, a great uh, 2021 and, and beyond in this decade for the expansion of uh, cannabis and cannabis sales. So before we wrap this up, I got to keep it short today, but I want to have you back on. What does your crystal ball prediction say for 2021, just based on the six, seven years experience you've had? And then with this whole pandemic kind of blowing things up, where are things leading to and where do you think they're going to go? Wow. Well, I would have never predicted the back to back to back uh, craziness of this, uh, of what has taken place in, in, in 2020. I mean, the only thing that I think has not happened is the locusts haven't, uh, arrived here. Uh, but I would say, um, I think obviously we're going to see continued expansion of, and, and the adoptance of marijuana. Uh, I think certainly, uh, states that are not, um, that don't have a marijuana program, I think are going to accept it and adopt it. And I think the adoption is going to be similar to how things have been with gay marriage, um, where now it's not the, uh, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Um, but um, we're seeing as a more, you know, normalized way. Um, Many of the states that are, you know, starting to uh, build out are going to, you know, be more mature and be able to serve their markets. They're still restricting sales in certain states uh, on the retail area uh, because they don't have enough product and they don't want to disappoint their customers. So, you know, you, can you imagine going into um, a grocery store and say, no, you can only buy, you know, one package of meat versus two. Well, I guess we had that in, uh, in April and May, yeah. uh, you know, for a little while, but you know, it really was, uh, was abnormal. I think we'll see a uh, continued consolidation as 
uh, the big guys get more access to, uh, to capital to be able to acquire, you know, the weaker ones here in Denver because we're a, um, a more mature market. We're seeing a uh, much more consolidation of, uh, of businesses and the smaller mom and pop businesses are getting bought and rolled up into the larger ones. And I think we'll, we'll start to see more big weed and uh, I think it'll be, um, you know, marijuana 3.0 where um, we're going to go to just like any other market, the small guys start it, they get bought out, the big guys, you know, take over and um, we'll see more and more multi-state operators be able to uh, expand their footprints and expand their expertise. And I think we'll see delivery in a lot of states. And then I think a lot of states will, uh, I think we'll see three or four new states that will adopt adult use because of the taxation and the jobs. You know, let's face it. We need uh, jobs after uh, the decimation that we've had here with COVID. We've got to have uh, jobs created. And this is one of the industries that is creating jobs and good paying jobs uh, for the most part, as well as a lot of ancillary businesses that can benefit from um, needing the services of an accountant, needing uh, you know commercial loans, needing other services that are essential to any business, but are going to be um, absolutely needed by marijuana companies that want to uh, play within the rules and and be able to have um, good accounting, good reporting, and uh, be able to grow their businesses efficiently, just like any other you know, uh, manufacturing and retail businesses. Yeah, a lot of these states and even the federal government is going to need cannabis to shore up their budget deficits. So I think definitely is going to be an interesting time. Uh, maybe they'll fast track not only delivery, but federal legalization as well. We just got to come back to the talking hedge and find out. I With agree. My guest, Scott Jordan, uh, he is the founder of Alternative Finance Network. Scott, where can they reach you at, uh, either social media or personal? Uh, they can reach me at um, sjordan at alternativefinancenetwork.com on LinkedIn. I'm uh, Scott Jordan, uh, the marijuana money man from Denver. Um, and uh, that's really the social media and, uh, and what I use. Um, you can go to my website, which is www.alternativefinancenetwork.com. And I'd love to help you with your uh, financing needs and uh, to help you expand the business, maintain your equity and maintain the control. That's really the key thing. Maintain the control early on while you can. Perfect. And we'll have all those links in the show notes as well. All right. I want to thank my guest, Scott Jordan. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe or don't. And I'm out. Cool. I'll probably have this up, Scott, uh, in a couple of days. Uh, Sure. Great. Next week, probably. Okay, so you stop recording because I still see the red button at the top. I can't stop recording, otherwise it's going to end the whole thing. Okay. I'll I'll just cut that out post-production. Okay, great. Thank you very much, and will you send me a link then when when it's up? Yep, when it's up, I will send you the link. I'll let you know, and I will uh, tag you in uh, to as much social media as they let me. Great. Good luck with your... uh, Battle with the Seattle uh, (laughs) City Hall. I appreciate it. And then uh, let's try to get back together uh, after the new year and and see uh, just a little follow-up. Sure. Okay. Will do. Thank you, Josh.
Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why is an endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.